Welcome to Buy, Grow, Sell, the podcast for entrepreneurs looking to acquire, grow, or exit a business, hosted by Simon Bedard. Hey there, it's Simon Bedard here. If you're brand new to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast, then welcome. It's great to have you on this journey. Since its launch, I've interviewed many entrepreneurs that have bought, grown, or sold a business. And in some cases, they've completed all three steps and started all over again. Our goal is to share the stories of business owners that have traveled at least part of this cycle so that we can learn from their experience. Whether it's the dizzying heights of success or the hard lessons learned through adversity, we get to the heart of what drives success and how to apply these lessons on your journey. So join us for the best insights, interviews, and inside information on how to buy, grow, and sell a business straight from the entrepreneurs who've lived and breathed it. Everyone needs a sounding board in business. Whether it's a coach, a mentor, or a partner, you need that person or people to help you navigate through the challenges, successes, and failures that are sure to come up on your business journey. Our guest today is Dave Melinda, and after 30 years of running his own company and growing it to 10 million in annual sales, he realized his passion lies in helping business owners build meaningful partnerships. Dave now works with companies to develop meaningful relationships with customers, motivate employees, and maintain healthy relationships with business partners. He's written a number one best-selling book on Amazon called Growing on Purpose, which details the importance both teams and customers have on a business and how, if treated properly, profit will follow. Today, I'm excited to talk through with him some of the blind spots that business owners have and how to develop people-focused strategies in order to grow. This is Dave Melinda. Hello, Dave. Welcome to the show. Hey, Simon. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for, uh, thanks for making some time to come on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited. Yeah. So uh, it's, a, it's a rainy Tuesday morning here in Sydney, and, uh, and you're dialing all the way in from Wisconsin. Yes, Midwest of the U.S. It's still Monday here, so like I said, don't tell me about. I don't want to know how my next twelve hours go. Okay, <laughs> unless you have the lottery numbers, like you said, that that would work. I could that that would work out well. So. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, um, Dave. I'm really excited to uh, to have you and hear your story today. Um, I, I know you've been the founder of a, a really amazing company, Positive Polarity, which uh, which I, I'm keen to hear about. But before we get to that. I understand you you built a business, you built it up to about 10 million bucks and, and eventually sold it, which, you know, we love hearing about stories like that. And sure, absolutely. Maybe you could kick us off and just give us a little bit of your background and what led to that, you know, starting that business and, and you know, that, that whole side of the story. Yeah, for sure. So it all the way goes back to in the early 90s and, um, you know, here in the Midwest, uh, we started a company that was a construction supply company, and I started in it. It was just me, and I remember my first sale, and uh, you know we had zero, literally zero dollars coming in, and it was just me. And I had a business partner at the time, and uh, we thought of an idea, and we wanted to you know create a, an opportunity. So we started with just me, and it just kind of took off from there. And uh, eventually, in 2012. Uh, we were at $10 million in annual sales, and we had a team of 22 people, 
And uh, I said, you know, uh, this is a great time to sell. And so I sold uh, my company to my partner. And then I started Positive Polarity like the next day. So, <laughs> yeah, so wow. I didn't have much wow. time in between. So, yeah. So that's the short version of it. Yeah, yeah. Really interesting. It's it's. I always find it fascinating when people go out and, and start companies and go down this path. You know, I, I, I'm always interested in, the, in what drove you to start that business. Was it, you know, was there a, a big motivating sort of factor behind it? You know, Simon, the thing is, is there are people and, and we talk about this sometimes on our podcast, too. There's just certain people that can't do it any other way. And so, you know, I don't know what that person necessarily, you know, what the listener listening is thinking right now. But, you know, there's a lot of people that are probably not fulfilled in what they're doing. And rather than try and blame people, rather than try and be a victim, I think that it's really helpful to be able to explore what opportunities that you have. And, you know, again, I, I'm assuming that in Australia, it's the same in the U.S., you know, the it's easy to start a company. You know, the paperwork is easy. There's people that will help you. Obviously, there's some, you know, a hardship along the way. But it's it's really, you know, for me, there was no other choice. You know, I, it was I, I couldn't work for people. And sometimes people can't work for people because they're stubborn or they're hard-headed, or they refuse to, you know, um, submit to authority. For me, it was just, I had an idea, and I wanted to, you know, turn that idea into making money. So, you know, that, that and, and I'm not motivated by money, so that's the interesting thing for me, is I just loved watching it grow. So, you know, that that's kind of how it started, and then once people got the bug, so to speak, you know, it just, it took off. Customers wanted to buy from us. People wanted to work for us. We became, you know, in our industry and in our geographic location, we became the place that most people wanted to work. So honored to be able to have those, you know, memories and have that. So, so yeah, I'm honored to be able to talk with you about it today. Yeah, that's cool. I, I imagine growing from zero to ten million dollars in turnover wasn't a straight line, right? <laughs> were, were there any kind of uh, you know barriers, hurdles? You know, I, revenue. I don't know people. Were there sort of natural barriers you have to push through to get to a size like that? Yeah, I think yeah. So there's a lot of those. Um, number one is you have to find people, especially if it's just you, and you, the first and second and third person that you hire, they have to really have the vision that you have. You know, it's really hard to hire somebody that doesn't have the passion that you have because you're going in one direction. If they have their own direction or they don't really care about direction, they just want a paycheck, you know. So my my advice always to people starting out is please align yourself with people that understand that vision. And it's not just like a little you know, mission statement where you have a memorized one sentence and then, you know, you move on. This is really understanding, you know, how do you want to treat your team? How do you want to treat your customer? You know, there's some really deeper things going on, I think. And so I align myself with some really solid people at the beginning of my journey. 
And it took a while to, to be able to find those people. So, so that's really an important factor is to make sure you align with those with the right people. And then you have to also align with the right customer because there's plenty of customers that are not focused on, they could care less about your well-being. It's all about them. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong, good or bad. For me, I just wanted to align myself with customers that really understood the true meaning of partnership. You know, in partnership, we use that word a lot, you know, in in business today, Simon. But if you look at the definition, you know, partnership is when two people or two entities, two companies, whatever, they partake in the successes, but they also partake in the failures, And that's a true partnership. And I've known plenty of people, plenty of manufacturers, plenty of other, you know, entities that love to take advantage of my uh, successes. But then when I had a failure, they were nowhere to be found. So I think finding people early on, customers and team that will stick with your company, your vision for the long term is is key to success. Yeah, that's interesting. And Dave, out of curiosity, I mean... Hitting ten million in sales is a great outcome. It's a you know by any, in anyone's language. So, did you have any kind of coach, mentor, advisory boards, you know, uh, along that journey? Sure, absolutely. It's a great question. We actually created a customer advisory board, and so you know we thought that we could have a coach come alongside us, we could try and have that, but they didn't really understand the industry. So I realized that why not have our customers come alongside of us and actually, so we created a customer advisory board. There were 10 people on that board and we would meet on a quarterly basis. Sometimes it was twice a year, but we would then talk to them about what are we not doing? What if, what if, if you took, you know, the blinders off and thought outside the box, what are some things that we could do for you? You know, that maybe have never been thought of. Maybe it's way outside anybody's comfort zone, but it gave us the opportunity to look into a customer Uh, And the cool part about it was our business grew because they had such valuable information, you know, along the way. So, uh, yeah, the the customer advisory board, it was a CAB is what we had. It was fantastic for us for a, a myriad of reasons. But, yeah, definitely find somebody who can help. You know, it's almost like a mentorship. But the cool part about that, if it's a customer, they potentially can create a win-win situation where we win and then they win also. And, and again, then, uh, you, you know, the energy really is there and, and then it, it just takes off from there. Yeah, that's um, a really great concept. And and I think this idea of advisory boards is growing and growing these days, but a customer advisory board is fascinating. No, it's interesting because I do want, there is a huge level of caution there because, you know, if you have some weakness in your company that you're afraid to expose, you know, you can't have this. Well, I don't want to talk about that in this meeting. You know, if you're it's kind of like you go to the doctor and, and you say, well, you can talk about my ankle, but you can't talk about my heart. You know, <laughs> I mean, we have to have this full disclosure and it's at times it's really painful. And so if you do decide to go down that road, you just want to make sure that everybody fully understands 
you know, the ground rules and you really have to make sure that you're comfortable making your company vulnerable to your customers. I mean, even it might include margins, you know, might who knows where that discussion is going to go. Um, but at the end of the day, again, I would not want anyone else other than my customer to help direct my company moving forward. Well, it's, I can imagine that sense of vulnerability, though. I mean, opening up those kind of financials and or some of the ins and outs of your business, often I think people are really uh, concerned about that, sort of pulling back that curtain and what people might see. Oh, absolutely, so, yeah, um, for sure. I, I, I think you're brave for doing that, and I bet, but clearly it but worked. The, yeah, but you know what, Simon? It's there anyway. Even if you don't tell anybody it's there, okay, it's still there. You know, and that's the thing about it is it, a couple things. Number one, it's the accountability that's really a lot of us business owners need is that somebody looking over your shoulder, wondering why did you make that purchase or why are you going in that direction or why are you treating that customer that way? You know, imagine having to talk to your customers and they say, hey, your customer experience, your customer service is actually kind of decreasing. I mean, that's like because what's the first thing you want to do, Simon? The first thing is, well, I want to justify myself or I want to blame somebody. Right. And it's super easy to blame your customer. It's super easy to blame the government, the weather, the competitor. It's super easy to blame anybody. Well, at the end of the day, it's me. I'm the owner of the business, so I can't blame anybody but myself. That's I mean, that's all I I have. So and blame really doesn't help as I want to learn. So tell me what I'm doing wrong. And then from there, let's, you know, let's learn together. And so it just was really a, a real fruitful experience doing it that way. Yeah, that's great. And, and, and I mentioned you got together in a room, you did this face to face. Yep. Yep. There were 10 people in a room and everybody got to know each other good. And that was the other part is there were complementing industries in the room. So, you know, it was kind of a networking piece for them, which was good. But they got to also learn about their business. So, you know, maybe we talked about, you know, employee engagement in the office. And all of a sudden they started to take some of those tips and tricks and things that we talked about there from somebody else in the room. And all of a sudden there they are learning for themselves. So um, again, that's why I love when it's a win-win. When I can add value to you, you can add value to me. Those are really great relationships in, in my in my opinion. Yeah, that's fantastic. Dave, a lot of the guests I speak to talk about the challenges of scaling their businesses. Um, you know, going from zero to 10 million, um, I've had clients have gone to sort of 20, 30 and all that sort of stuff. But what I find is they'll usually say to me they hit certain barriers in trying to scale, you know, and it might have been at two million revenue, might have been five mil revenue. Then they might have hit another one at you know ten or twenty million in revenue. Sure, sure. Where they just kind of realise that what they did to get where they are won't won't take them to the next level. I guess I'm interested whether or not you had any of those kind of experiences in that business, and and I guess if so, what did you do about it? Yeah, so I think that these um, these barriers that people talk about, Simon, a lot of them are like self-limiting thoughts. You know, it's like a thought in my mind of, you know, whatever. You can pick something, whether 
personally think about it from a compensation perspective think of the first time that you hit whatever hundred thousand dollars for your personal thing or fifty thousand whatever the number is or a million whatever there's these self-limiting thoughts i'm never going to be able to grow a business to 10 million you know that was the the thought in my mind and so you have to kind of work through that because if you live in that condition for a while you'll never get to where you want to go and when I wrote my Amazon number one best-selling book, Growing on Purpose, that was a lot of, I had self-limiting thoughts like, who's going to read this book? You know, so you have to fight through that. So when you see that on your, you know, it, when you see that thought coming, uh, in, uh, looking ahead and you see that, it's really kind of one of those things that you have to deal with. Don't wait till you're there to deal with it, you know, deal with it ahead of time. And so if you're a new business owner and you're thinking about you have these goals that you set, financial goals, behavior goals, attitude goals, whatever type of goals you set, I already want to put thoughts in my head of if what happens if I don't do it? What happens if I start to have these little words chirping in my brain saying, you're never going to do it? You know, it's it's those pieces there where you plan ahead. I mean, sure, we we were a people business. We, we sold product. But at the end of the day, it was all about people. So it was hard to find people, always has been, always probably will be hard to find good people that are engaged. I mean, I don't know what the industry numbers are in Australia, but in the U.S., you know, one out of three people show up for their job engaged, which means two out of three people show up and they're not engaged, which means they're not there to further the customer. They're not there to further the company. You know, they're not even there to improve themselves. They're there to skate under the radar, do as little as possible. You know, so again, these are Gallup statistics that show that, you know, it's hard to find people that align with you. So when you find them, you got to hold on to them. And if you have that struggle, sometimes they're self-limiting thoughts like who'd want to work here? We're just the average company. As soon as you have that, it just kind of locks in. And and then I think you really can, you know, stymie your growth. Mm, mm. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I think it's cu- culture, really, I guess, is probably the simple way of explaining it. But it's, um, you know, the way we do things around here is very much dependent on the people and their their approach and their belief in, in what they're doing. Right. right. Yep. So, Dave, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, you know, you started this business, um, you know, you've got a business partner. What was it like having a business partner and and growing over that sort of period of time into that size? I mean, was it all roses? Was there any challenges working with other people and being a part, being a business partner? Yeah, absolutely. There's always going to be challenges anytime that you have a partner. And if, if it's any indication that the first time I had a business partner and now on my own, I don't have a business partner. <laughs> it's not the person. He was awesome. It's not a person. It's the concept. It's like marriage. OK, it's like a relationship. Two people are built two different ways. I do a ton of work with disc personality profiling. And so I know that a person is built a certain way and another person is built another way. So when you look at something, whatever it is, and you have two different opinions, sometimes that's really good. I mean, it's healthy to have an opposing view in your business. It's not healthy if you don't know how to maneuver through those things. 
So, you know, if you haven't invested the time literally to do um, any type of conflict resolution training, if you haven't taken assessments to understand personalities of, bo- of, of your partner and things like that, if you're not doing those pieces and the assumption is, you know, you're engaged, it's like when you're engaged. You know, like they can do no wrong. Oh, my gosh, you can't wait to spend the rest of your life with them. Life is going to be grand. And again, not that it can't be. There are daily, weekly, monthly hurdles. Some are little and some are a lot bigger. And if you're not prepared on how to deal with that, that's where the challenge comes in. So we had some things in place that, you know, we knew at the end of the day, if it came, push came to shove, somebody with the expertise, like, you know, my partner was more of the financial expert. I was more of the sales expert and the HR side. So, you know, if we had a sales issue, I tended to make those decisions. If we had a financial decision, he tended to make those decisions. So, going into it, we understood pretty well who's going to do what. And the clearer that you can make that, you know, the clearer and more successful that partnership will be. Yeah, that's that's great advice. Um, out of curiosity, did you guys um, have any sort of discussion around what your exit might look like at the beginning? Um, you know, was there a plan to that or was it just, hey, you know, we're, we're, we're a good fit. Let's go and make some money. Let's, you know, grow this thing. Yeah, there were some plans in place, contingency plans, we call them, you know, the death dismemberment. And I can't remember the third D, there's three Ds, you know, we had those discussions. Um, But again, it's really kind of awkward because it's like when you're engaged, I'm going to go back to that and you start talking prenup with somebody. You know, I mean, it's like that's a little bit different, but, you know, we wanted to have some realistic things in place so that if something does happen, you know, then we would be able to know how to react or how to act. So I think it's prudent to have some of those pieces in place. If you have two people, if it's you and a partner, or if there's, you know, how many ever partners people have, I always encourage you to have a non-partner available to act as a mediator. You know, I do a lot of conflict resolution work where two people can't talk to each other. They can't communicate to each other. You know, and in business, that's really hard if you can't communicate with your partner. Um, You know, a lot of times is, you know, you may or may not know, I, for me, Simon, I blame other people. Like my initial reaction is to blame somebody else. It's not to say, oh, my gosh, what did I do wrong here? My initial reaction is to blame, to push, deflect, whatever. Fortunately, after 50 some years, I'm finally learning that that's not the right way to do it. Well, most of the time, though, right, in business, it's oh, my partner, if he only, if she only. Right. That's what we have in our mind. And so, you know, take a minute and really do some self-reflection and see what it is that you're doing that you can work on, that you can improve, rather than always looking at what your partner can improve. And again, that was so helpful when our customers got an in-depth look at our company and they helped us because we had blind spots. My next book I'm working on is on business blind spots and because we all have these blind spots. Well, if you have a blind spot and no one ever tells you, Simon, what are you supposed to do? 
you know. So a lot of business owners have blind spots, and that's why they have a mentor, a coach, an accountability board, something like that. Um, but watch what your reaction is when somebody uh, confronts you, because <laughs> a lot yes. of times it's like, oh, you know, I'd be fine if it wasn't for taxes or I'd be fine. You know, I had one client called said to me, you know, this company would be awesome if I didn't have any employees and I didn't have any customers. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, no kidding. Right. But it's so easy to look at other people. So in your journey, as you're listening to this, just do some self-reflection to be able to see what it is that you can change. Cause I realized probably about halfway through my journey with my, with my um, partner, I realized that I can't change him. Okay, the first half I tried desperately to change him, change his attitude, change his mode, change his behavior, convince, you know, I tried to sell him on stuff. You know, I tried all these things and it just didn't work. But when I really started to change myself, when I looked and say, hey, what can I work on? You know, really, really, then all of a sudden, you know, things really started to change for the good. Uh, look, that's that's very good of you to share that sort of stuff. I think we're all guilty of blaming other people or other situations and things. So um, a little bit of introspection and emotional intelligence goes a long way, right? Well, yeah, if, you know, hey, you can edit this if you want. But if the U.S. <laughs> president right now would be looking at what they didn't do right in their current situation, rather than blaming, I mean, they blamed everybody. And every president's probably blamed everybody. I can't think back to a president, a leader. You know, that's we had this discussion. How come in leadership training for your business, they encourage you to be vulnerable and do that introspection. But yet the world leaders, they don't, they don't, I've never heard one say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't do this right. I missed that. I didn't see this coming. It's never been that way. So if you're in a partnership, you know, and, and you have a partner that always blames others, at least be the example of looking at what you can do different because most of the time your partner is going to all of a sudden realize that they're, you know, partnered with somebody that's vulnerable and it puts the onus on them to start doing that same exact thing. Yeah, that's um, that's interesting, David. And without going all the way down the sort of political tunnel, I mean, I, I, hear what you're saying about, you know, whether it's the president or other world leaders. Um, It's a funny thing, though, you know, like I also, I look at what goes on. Politicians, yes, rarely like to admit mistakes. I also actually think there's a little bit of a challenge in society in that we we actually expect our politicians to be perfect. Politicians make a mistake and it's like people want to hang them out to dry, like, oh, you know. Yep. And yet, and yet, if they actually looked in the mirror and the way, and, and I put my hand up here, the way I run my own business, the way I run my own team, the run, the way I engage with my own family, you know, I mean, we all make mistakes constantly, yeah, but absolutely. for some reason, we actually sort of expect political leaders for some reason not to be human and not to make mistakes, which is kind of funny. But um, so yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I. I, I and, and and translating that back to our businesses, right? Like the next time somebody makes a mistake or does something wrong in our, in our businesses or in our teams, well, I think you, to your point, you've got to sort of stand back and go, well, okay, hang on. Actually, could I have done something to make this situation better or train them more or improve this? Or <laughs> it's, um, 
yeah, I'll, I'll share one little 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 thing. It's uh, yeah. my, my mother; she's passed, but uh, and and but one of her favourite sayings, um, well, maybe one that she maybe I just needed to hear it more um, <laughs> was always, <laughs> "There are three sides to every story, right?" And this is partic- particularly when I'm having an argument or a fight with my brother. She'd say, "There's three sides to every story. There's yours, there's his, and somewhere in the middle is the truth." And translated is, you know, somewhere in the middle is what probably an impartial third person would think about this argument, right? Um, and, and I just, that, that saying got drilled into me so much growing up that I realised from probably a much younger age that life is not black and white. There's a thousand shades of grey and, and you know what, that other person's just a different shade of grey and we just got to try to understand where that middle section is. <laughs> But the thing is, is that you bring up such a good point. There's a third spot, right? So when you have a two people, again, usually partnerships are two people and one person's black and one person's white from an idea perspective. And I'm thinking one way. And if you and I own a business together and and we're 50-50 partners, you think one way, I think another. And we're totally like dug in where we're not budging on that. We got to talk. I mean, if we didn't plan for this ahead of time, Simon, we're stuck right here, you know, and yeah. then we potential animosity builds up. And then now I'm going to kind of, you know, manipulate in when manipulation starts happening. That's bad. And if we have a team, what really can damage this is off all of a sudden here goes Dave and he's going to go talk to three other people on the team to get his little group. So now it's Dave and three other people against Simon. <laughs> I mean, you know, that stuff goes on all the time and the, all the while the customer seeing it, the customer's hearing it, the customer's experiencing it and they just get frustrated with it. I mean, how many times have you gone to a fast food restaurant and watched them argue with each other about stuff? And I'm like, I just want a hamburger, you know? And it's just like, hey, you just quiet down. We're not done here yet, you know? I mean, there's just (laughs) conflict that goes on. So the huge advice is to have these discussions, these tough discussions ahead of time. If you're in the midst of a... um, partnership now, then just have the discussion now. Do the what if scenario, because I think it's much easier to come up with a rational idea when there's no, you know, um, chemicals released in your brain that are just creating all this tension and stress. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it's way easier to think logically about this when we're both at the normal you know, clear state, so to speak, as opposed to when we go to red, it's, it's, you know, you're better off not doing any type of decision making at that point. Yeah, I think that's great advice. It's and like a friend of mine who's a he's a, a commercial lawyer said. You know, the the time to do your shareholders agreement is when you actually still like each other. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, sure. So Dave, t- tell tell me a little bit about um, your eventual sort of exit. You, um, I believe, you said earlier that you sold your share of the company to your partner. I did. Yeah. So in 2008 for us in the U.S., we had I mean, we were we were really primarily based on uh, building permits. 
you know, we saw when the building permits were up, our sales were up. When building permits were down, sales were down. So in 2008, the, the building permits in our area went down um, about 80%. I mean, it was just like the spigot went off, right? And so we had 17 people on our team at the time. And we were like looking at each other going, what the heck are we going to do? I mean, we could close, we could, you know, sell out. We, you know, you couldn't really sell because nobody wanted to buy a, a, a company that didn't have anything coming in at the time. So we made the conscious decision to grow our business. So we hired some people. We actually started to train our company, our customers on non-product things. So a lot of our customers were entrepreneurs. So we started teaching them about LinkedIn. We started teaching them about marketing. We started training them on QuickBooks. We would bring in experts and provide free training for these people um, to keep them in business. Because I thought if I can keep my customer in business, they will turn around and keep me in business. So you fast forward the tape to 2012, we get through the the bad time and we had actually grown our business 47% through that time. A lot of our competitors closed, a lot of our competitors scaled back. We took the biggest jump that we had ever taken. We gained so much market share because we took a vested interest in our customer. Well, through that, I realized that I fell in love with coaching. I fell in love with training. And 2012, my, we, we go, we get through it. And my partner says, wow, I'm glad we made it. We're going to stop the training. And I'm like, what? This is what got us through. And you want to stop? He's like, yeah, we need to go in a different direction. And it was at that point that I made this decision where I either am going to move, you know, just fly under the radar and just keep doing what I was doing or I want I find I found another passion and that was to train and to teach and to coach and so at that point I told my my partner if you, this is how you're it wasn't like I'm threatening him like if you do this I'm leaving I said you know what I totally get what you're saying I just want to go in a different direction. We've been together 28 years at this time because I started with him in 86. So we had, I'd been through a bunch. And so we were together about 28 years. And so I said, Hey, I really want to do this coaching on my own. I fell in love with it. And so again, one passion of running and owning a company spurred another passion. So I always tell people just because you have a current situation, I'm always encouraged people to keep your eyes open because you have no clue what else is around the corner and when i found that i this this i just fell in love with doing this with with speaking going around the country speaking coaching you know just i just you know have so much uh i have such a passion to help other people succeed so you know that's that's kind of how that all went together so i'll never forget it was a tuesday afternoon and we did our deed and it was all done and i was no longer employed i signed the paperwork i got my check everything was good and i'm sitting there and he goes so what are you going to do I go, I don't really know, <laughs> you know, so and, and I was OK with that because there are a ton of people that will never jump into being a business owner because they need that safety net. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. They need that corporate America to always be there for them. I don't need that personally. It was, again, not a huge deal for me. So I started the next day. I said, I, I really want to try this coaching thing. 
I talked to some clients that I had from my past life and, and I said, hey, do you need any help with your sales? Do you need any help with your HR? I mean, you know, what is what's really what are you struggling with in your business? And then that's that's how it happened. So it was a pretty yeah. smooth transition um, from that perspective. Yeah, and it sounds like there was no animosity. It was just, uh, you know, heading in different directions and you both kind of named the situation. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I don't, you know, I, I think that most partnerships can end if they're set up right. They, it's not like a divorce. It does. It's, you know, it, it's not. That's where it's not like a relationship because it wasn't like, you know, who's getting the kids and who's getting this and, you know, splitting all this stuff up. It was like, you know what, to your point, Simon, I have a passion that's different than you do. Yours is right and mine is right. So why do you feel that you there's why does there have to be a right? and a wrong in a business selling, in a business splitting, whatever your words are. You know, if you're selling a business, you, I mean, you sell it and you try something different. I mean, I lasted 28 years with, I had a, you know, I was with this guy for 28 years. So it wasn't like I lasted nine months and said, I want to do something else. And it wasn't like I said, hey, I can do what you're doing better I mean, a lot of people want to stay in the business and create a competition situation. And if you don't have any type of agreement or arrangement for that, and that's what you want to do, hey, you know, more power to you. Um, for me, I just actually tried to complement his business and was working with his customers, you know, just in a different format. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. So, so how did you come up with uh, the valuation, the number? Was, was there some sort of what sort of thinking or methodologies? How did you approach that? Yeah, we had the IPA formulas that are out there and we pretty much had one figured out ahead of time. And then we figured out what times earnings, whether I think it was three and a half or four times earnings, something like that. And we did the valuation for us was the last three years of business, the, what, what the profits were. Uh, we did, uh, let's see, how did that go? 50 it was 50% of last year, 25 of the year before, and 25 of the year previous. So kind of added yeah, all okay. that up, and it equaled X. And then you took X times 3.5, whatever that is, and then that was became the, the valuation of, of the business. And, you know, again... You know, I wasn't there trying to say, oh, my gosh, don't round up, round down or you know, whatever. Yeah, you know, yeah. you can get so messed up in that. I think personally, for me, I wanted to take the highest road possible because I never know who I'm going to meet again or where I'm going to need something again from somebody. So for me, we had an agreement and it worked out and, and everybody was happy. It was so odd because he actually said that day, it was a Tuesday afternoon, and he said, so what are you going to do? Like I said, and I said, I don't know. He said, I tell you what, I'd like to be your first client. I'd like you to work with us for three days a week. And his name was Jim. And I said, Jim, you're not listening to me now. I said, I don't want my first customer in my new business to not listen to me. You know, I think it could be like <laughs> detrimental to me. So I passed on a significant amount of money uh, and a significant, and I'm glad I did because it taught me a bunch on how to, you know, prospect on my own and network and just, you know, build this on my own. Uh, so I'm glad that I did that. But you know what, maybe that's a 
a way that some of your listeners can, you know, still stay in the business. And, you know, I've seen plenty of people where they're no longer an employee. They're, you know, they might be a consultant. They might be on contract. I mean, you know, it just really depends on each situation. But we had it established up front uh, on what the buy-sell agreement was going to be so that there wasn't any type of issue at the end of the day. No, look, that's great. And it sounds like it went through smoothly. Um, in terms of how you took the consideration, we see lots of different deal types, you know, upfront payments, deferred payments, earnouts, all this sort of stuff. Can you give us some sort of context around how you took your payment? Yeah, I took it all at once because it was like, you know, the money's there. I earned it. It wasn't, and again, I started the company. He funded some stuff. He financed some stuff. He spent some time in, you know, our business financially, but the vast, vast, vast majority of the of the week was on me. You know, I would use him as a sounding board on occasion. So I had no problem saying, you know, hey, we need to, this is how we want to do it. Um, and if he would have said no and he wanted to defer payment or he wanted to pay out a profit, I mean, I have two clients right now, I think two or three that are in that wanting to sell their business mode and everybody's got their own way of doing it, you know, whether, and again, I'm using numbers that don't mean anything. If you want to get a million dollars for your business um, and you can get somebody to write you a check for a million dollars versus three payments of 333,000, you know, it's whatever works. I don't think there's a right way or a wrong way. I even have people that would pay out of the profit of the company. So, you know, it's whatever you want to do. I always encourage people to get either an attorney, a tax person, or get a mergers and acquisition professional. So, because there are things, ours was pretty seamless. There are plenty of things that happen or could happen that you go, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that. Or I didn't realize that. Did I really sign a non-compete? You know, if you have non-competes involved and you have, if you sign things, it's usually good to get somebody to read those 15 pages that at the day you just signed and really didn't, you know, understand what you were signing. So. Yeah. Uh, and some more great advice there, Dave. It's, um, you know, I think when you're do, doing a deal with your business partner, I imagine you still probably had an, had an attorney do the contract and whatnot, but you at least know each other. You both know the business inside out. You both know its strengths and weaknesses. You're not you're not in uncharted territory. Yeah. Um, whereas I think a lot of business owners, when they're selling, they're dealing with different buyers. They've never done this before. It, it can be quite overwhelming. Yep. Absolutely. If you haven't done it before or you're, again, I trusted my partner. If you don't trust somebody, if it's not 100%, um, you know, amiable in your situation, then it really is probably smart to get some kind of uh, advice, get some kind of um, representation because, you know, the difference between uh, IPTA three and a half versus an IPTA four and a half, or you could do whatever the market's bearing at the time. I mean, there's so many ways that you can do it. And I, 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 I'm not the expert on, you know, I could have easily gotten taken to the cleaners if I wouldn't have trusted my partner. But I'd known the guy for 28 years. And I'm like, if he's, you know, realistically, my thought was, if you're going to screw me, at the, you, you got to go home and live with that. I don't. And that's just kind of how I live my life is I feel like what goes around comes around. And, you know, I mean, 
maybe that's the wrong way to do it, but you know, I would much rather sleep good at night knowing that I did my best and that I took the high road rather than, you know, make an extra $4, but man, I, you know, I feel terrible with it, but Hey, I got an extra soda out of the deal or whatever. So, you know, yeah, I think that that uh, sounds very reasonable. So, um, so tell us a little bit about positive polarity and, and, you know, who, who are the sort of people you work with today? Yes, for sure. So I work with a lot of people that are are really great at their craft. They're really good at a trade. They're really good at whatever whatever widget they make or whatever, but they tend to struggle with something outside of that. So like I, I wrote my book called Growing on Purpose because I run into a ton of people that grow by mistake. And so, you know, you ask somebody, hey, how did you grow? You know, you grew like 35% last year. How did you do that? And they look back and they go, I have no clue. Well, how are we going to duplicate that if you want to duplicate that again? I have no clue. So we put, you know, we put processes in place, whether it's sales planning, whatever it is, to really make sure that there's a way to duplicate what you've done. And so, again, a lot of people are really good at what they do. Um, They're just not really good maybe at selling something or marketing it, or they don't know how to, you know, build a team. They don't know how to really create a fantastic customer experience. So I focus on, I always say there's three main parts to every business. There's the product or service that you do. That's one. Then there's the team that provides it, number two. And then there's a customer that enjoys it, number three. I focus on the customer experience and I focus on the team development. Those are my two um, sandboxes, so to speak, that I play in. Yeah, that's fascinating. And and do you, um, you, you know, do you work with um, companies over a particular size or does it not matter? I mean, what sort of scope is there in terms of your, your, your client base? Sure. A lot of times the... Um, The larger companies, they have their own internal training. They have their own internal, you know, systems, coachings, you know, sales manager. Like I'm a a sales manager for a couple companies that are smaller that, quite frankly, can't afford a full-time sales manager. And the owner is not really an effective sales manager and their best salesperson. That's such a bad thing to think that because I'm good in sales, I'm going to be good at a sales management position. So, you know, it's usually the smaller size company, you know, small to medium. I mean, we have GE in our neck of the woods. We have Harley Davidson here. We have Rockwell. Those large companies, they have so many of me on their team already that most of them are are covered. It's that small to medium sized company that, you know, is growth minded. You know, I mean, a half a million dollar company that wants to go to a million is doubling their sales. Well, Harley's not going to double their sales in a year. And this company could double their sales in a year. And all of a sudden, they don't know, you know, who's going to help do this? What's the customer experience going to be like? You know, there's just a lot more to doubling a company than, you know, we think of. So that's the company I tend to help out. Oh, that's cool. And and, uh, (laughs) I coming full circle, I guess, is that the, the problems you have at a, a million dollars in revenue might be quite different to the problems you have at two million or five million and things like that. So it's good to have somebody to help you along the journey. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think, again, that's if you don't have somebody, whether in your company, preferably outside of your company, you know, I always people ask me, do I need a coach? That's like a big question. And I always answer the. I say, I don't know. You know what? I don't know you. I can tell you this. Michael Jordan and um, Tiger Woods, two of the best athletes that I've ever seen play. They need coach. They need or needed coaches. I mean, Tiger swing coach. Um, psychological quote. I mean, they had all these coaches, right? All surrounding them. I don't know why. It's just that you can't, it goes back to blind spots. You know, what could, what could Phil Jackson possibly tell Michael Jordan, right? You'd think that Michael would have not needed anybody, but when you go and look into it, those guys really were well together because they were able to complement each other. And, and Michael trusted Phil, and Phil would say, hey, do you know you have this little glitch in your in your shot or whatever? And, and Michael would be like, I have no clue about that. And that's what, again, a coach does, comes alongside. And, and I look at a company, and I can usually tell when you talk to the team and you talk to the customers, you can pretty much tell in a really quick time the top three to five things that we're going to be working on right away. And some we can fix just like that. They're minor course corrections, and others could potentially be more detrimental and more, you know, and, and, and you know, take more energy to fix. Yeah, yeah. It makes a lot of sense, Dave. It makes a lot of sense. I, I, Dave, are you happy for people to reach out? How, how do people get in contact with you? Yeah, the best way to do it is positivepolarity.com. Just hang out there at the mm-hmm. website. I also have my podcast, positivepolaritypodcast.com, where we intersect the personal growth and business growth. So we love talking about what you're talking about, where people are on the fence about wanting to jump into a business, too. So I'm so you know excited that by build and sell is on for people that are thinking about that. So, man, I just encourage you, if you're thinking about it, you know, talk to somebody that's done it and then talk to somebody that isn't going to do it. And then it really just kind of gives you a really a much clearer picture of what that looks like moving forward. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, look, we'll put your uh, link to Positive Polarity on the show notes. Well, thank you. Dave. Yeah, no, my pleasure. Dave, really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your story. Thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Honored to do it. Thanks a lot, Simon. Appreciate all you're doing for everybody as well. The ultimate freedom is to own a company that is valuable, scalable, and saleable. Find out how you score on the eight factors that drive company value by completing the Value Builder Questionnaire. Upon completion, we will send through your business scorecard so you can see how to maximize the value of your company. Just go to exitadvisory.com.au forward slash scorecard. The Buy, Grow, Sell podcast is brought to you by Exit Advisory Group, a boutique M&A firm that helps business owners maximize company value and exit at the top of their game. To learn more about Exit Advisory Group, you can go to exitadvisory.com.au. And if you like what you've just heard, you can subscribe at buygrowsell.com to get a new episode delivered to your inbox each week. Thank you for listening to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast with Simon Bedard. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit buygrowsell.com forward slash episodes. 
Simon is the founder and CEO of Exit Advisory Group, and you can follow him on LinkedIn. 